in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melvartis, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Dustin Melbartis, and joining me today are two friends and co-hosts. That's right, it's a Dealer's Choice episode, and I've got Brian Fry and Chad Robinson. Say hi at the same time, fellas. Hi at the same time. Wow, you suck, Brian. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Uh, well, hey, I got Hi at the for same you time. You ever been ravenous? You ever been ravenous while watching a movie? Boys, what's a snack you don't usually get at the movie theater, but you think you should, and you got to get as messy and loud as you want? It can be a whole meal, what, no limits. What do you want in the movie theater, Chad? I mean, the most disgusting thing and yet delicious that I can think of eating in public is wings. Like, give me a big old bucket of wings. I am, I am all about that. Give me a big old bucket of wings anytime, anywhere. It's an indulgence of mine. Maybe once every two weeks. It's special. Uh, in the movie theater, would just oh, just the aroma of the vinegary sauce, uh, the sound smacking uh, on, on all the sauce on your fingertips. Brian, you have a, an option like that? Uh, soylent green. Soylent green. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, for me, it's going to be like a really bitch thick sauce lo mein. Oh, wow. Like just that, you know, like you get the big fork. For... There you go. Oh, yes. I actually have a little uh, pad CU in the fridge Ooh. that I'll probably take down tonight. What's up? It's my I favorite. love me a thick noodle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't think of something like too messy, but I did think. I'd like a big heaping bowl of chicken and dumplings. Okay. Okay. I I don't think of comfort food as uh, movie watching, but yeah. It would require a a bowl and spoon or fork. So it would take like time to, you know, have all that in the theater. But I think it's also just another go-to food for a good answer for anything. Chad, what's the last movie you saw? I saw Renfield. And oh, was, oh, how was it? I was super excited for it. And to be honest, it's like 90% Aquafina and 10% Nicolas Cage. And those ratios should be flipped. Yeah. Like Nicolas Cage yes. is awesome. It's so much fun. But the movie itself, it's like, eh. I had high hopes for it. Um, I And I will say I'm not on the Aquafina train yet. I don't know if I will be. No, but- this will not help. Yeah, Nick, Nicholas Holt was someone I was excited to see play yeah. this role. But Yeah, he does a good job. That's good to hear. It that's is a direct hear. sequel to the 1931 Dracula covered <laughs> on this podcast. That's right, covered on this very podcast. Uh, well, how about you, Brian? What's the last movie you saw? 
gosh, you know, it's funny. I should have written this down because I downloaded and watched a bunch of stuff recently. I believe the last movie I watched was Nobody. That's with our uh, Better Call Saul? That's with Odin Yep, yep, yep. I think that was the last one I watched. Uh, they had some sale on Apple uh, movies, which is always dangerous for me because I'm like, well, $4.99, sure. $4.99, sure. And I'll do that five, six times before I'm like... <laughs> I should probably come on just a little bit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it, it really, it was either that or Munich or Triangle of Sadness. One of those three was the last movie I watched. What's your opinion on Nobody? That was hilarious. Uh, but here's the thing. One of the movies that is is criminally, criminally underappreciated online is Shoot 'em. Absolutely love the movie Shoot 'em Up with Clyde and Paul Giamatti. I actually saw it the exact same weekend that I saw Superbad, and I had abs next morning from laughing so hard in the theater between those movies. So it was like you had a like one of those holds where you cough yourself into good shape. It was that, except it was laughter and those two movies in the theater. So I would I would say it's most it's most uh, the easiest way I could say okay, it's like this. The, the best comparison to make is is shoot 'em up, or maybe the family with Robert De Niro. Well, you heard it here first, folks. It is if you forget your crunches, if you forget your Russian twists, just watch Superbad and uh, double over with laughter, or uh, watch uh, Nobody with Odenkirk. My last movie I saw was Bohemian Rhapsody. I Ooh. missed it. Oh. When it came out, uh, I was with some friends. We put it on. I was wary about it. I I have a history of covering biopics on this show, but as far as musical biopics, I generally turn away. My opinion of the musicians is already so high, I don't need to be reminded why I like them. We'll say this one exceeded my expectations. Uh, it was framed in a really meaningful way instead of just look at this guy's life. And a special kudos shout out to Gwilym Lee, who played Brian May. Uh, I think I think it was really well done. Excellent. Yeah, but you know, I'd asked about that movie food because I was wondering if you guys ever get ravenous. What movie are we covering today, Chad? We, coincidentally, are covering a movie called Ravenous from 1999, Brian's favorite decade in all of existence. Whose choice true. was this? It's true. This is a dealer's <laughs> Who did choice. This? Who did this? <laughs> Who threw this shoe? <laughs> Brian's not even going to claim it. If it's oh, in the news. Oh, it was, that, oh, it was 100% me. Like, this, is, this is my jumping out of an elevator liar style. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you put it on the plate on our table for us yep. to dig in. Mm-hmm. That's right, Big, Ravenous from 1999. Steak. Oh, yes. Slurp it up. Starring Guy Pierce, Robert Carlyle, Jeremy Davies, Jeffrey Jones, John Spencer, Neil McDonough, and David Arquette. $12 million budget. It made $2 million. Nice. <laughs> Good enough for 180th in the box office that year. Uh, that's right. The, everyone remembers the movie Trick, which came in front of it. And uh, I will say, Ravenous was good enough to beat besieged from 1999 we probably were too focused on star wars episode one the phantom menace which made about 209 times as much money as this movie did 
Uh, but it's always good to come back to this uh, several years later. IMDb rating, 6.9. Rotten Tomatoes, or critics, give it a 51%, but the audience a little more generous, 78%. Didn't win any awards. We will say Roger Ebert gave it a 3 out of 4 stars. And uh, this was something that uh, was presented to us, a fine feast of a movie. Brian, had you ever seen this movie before? Oh, God, yes. This is this is one of my favorite camp horror movies. It, uh, I don't know. I love introducing people to this film, but it's also one that I leave on the back burner a lot. We don't watch it for a while, and then I come back, and I'm like, oh, yeah, tonight's a ravenous night. <laughs> a ravenous night. What about you, Chad? I've uh, seen it before today. I hadn't. I've seen it on lists, but it's always been horror adjacent, which I would like to correct the record right now. Mm. This is a straight horror movie. Like this is not yes. horror adjacent. This is not frailty. This is not seven. Like this is a straight up creature feature. It's just the creature is a human. This is ravenous. Yes, from nineteen ninety nine. Absolutely. So, uh, you've. Uh, this is actually my first time watching it as well, Brian. You uh, are in the the privileged seat of introducing a new movie on a uh, a dealer's choice, and we always thank you for that. Uh, you've seen it before, though. What were you expecting coming in this time? Um, I was really hoping that uh, this was going to be a winner for, for all those concerned. Uh, I'm expecting a fairly low rating from Russ once he gets around to it. 100%. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's not going to like this. So uh, just <laughs> any, any, any time I pick something like this, I have to rest on good ratings from, from my other fellows uh, because I know one of them will likely shoot this guy in the face. Did you have any expectations at all, Chad? I am a complete professional, so I did zero research going nice. in. Nice. I, <laughs> I didn't even look at a poster so much. So no, I had no expectations other than I had occasionally seen this on lists of, hey, it's got some horror elements. So I put it in a completely different bucket, which was very quickly adjusted. We we got the opening cre- credit with a Nietzsche quote, and then the immediate comedy right underneath of it. I, I saw where it was going. You know what, though? I am a. This has been an argument of mine for years. Of we need more Wendigo, and mm-hmm. and I guessed fairly early on that this was going to be a Wendigo film. And I was so happy to be correct because that's just something that's neglected in horrordom. So hooray, Wendigo movie. You have a fever. I do. And the only prescription is more Wendigo. Let's hold off on the Wendigo talk until after the break. Uh, This was something I had no expectations for. I, the only the title, no, uh, no research at all from, from me. Uh, You're, you're right. Right at the title sequence, it gives you kind of a blast of, all right. Yeah. Nietzsche quote. And then something silly right away. And we have tonal back and forth between horror, between comedy, between suspense. I guess I should be using the word among. I don't exactly know where to place like this in a bucket. Um, but I will say for coming into it with, with not knowing anything, it's nice to be, we'll say, jerked around to not know exactly what you're supposed to expect from it. And I will say that was really refreshing. Uh, Brian, how does this movie hold up? We're looking at, what, 24 years later? I I think that one of the biggest takeaways I took from this last watch through is none of these people have aged. 
Like <laughs> me, Neil Neil McDonald looks exactly the same. John yeah. Spencer looks exactly the same. I haven't Jeffrey Jones in anything in a while, so maybe. But uh, you know, Guy Pierce, if like Guy Pierce and Iron Man looks exactly like Guy Pearson. He does. Like if he dyed his be- if he does beard, like I understand he's got some gray hair now, but he still pulled this up. Robert Kyle- Carlyle doesn't look that different. David no. Arquette, okay, yeah. okay. But Jeremy V's looked exactly like this in Justice, which is the last thing I saw him in. So I don't feel, I think people are eating people, guys. I think everybody in this movie really ate some people, and that's how they're getting their, their longevity. Hollywood Cannibal Club. Yes. Well, that's right. I, I have to say, some of the things you were referencing were really, they're not recent, Brian. Like, we're, we're <laughs> I mean, pretty far past Justified, but I do get what you're yeah. saying. Iron Man three was yeah I mean it's it's hey, but you you know you will I will say okay. these guys okay. definitely do they they do definitely uh, maintain the, their their image across all these years. Uh, what about you, Chad? The same question. Like, how do you think this holds up? It's always helpful to go and have a period piece. Like, you don't have any hackers was another one of Brian Steeler's choices, which is probably the movie that has held up the absolute worst. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Anytime you, if you take a tech flick from any decade and then remove it 30 years, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be trash. I mean, yeah. it's just like the net, it just trash from a, does it hold up standpoint? So, so yeah, I mean you you've got all your stereotypes of the West. You've got your Indian scouts. You've got your you've got one or two random women that really don't have a great role. They're just there to check a box. So it, it's got some of those pitfalls, but I I think it holds up just fine. I think there are aspects to this movie that are rare to see in movies. Now you are much more of a horror aficionado, Chad, than I am. But there were things about the unknown when you don't know what the enemy is or when you may not be familiar with, we mentioned the word Wendigo, when you might not be familiar with what is out there, that will always hold up. There are some things that it's difficult because of the sheer size of the impact to the zeitgeist. For instance, an alien movie, if you hadn't seen it, there's no chance you haven't run across a picture or even sound or anything about the xenomorph. Like there are certain things that just kind of pervade the uh, cinematic world. And so a movie like this, which made one sixth of its budget, uh, like there's stuff here that you may not have any inkling about. And that's something that's a real pleasure to come back to. And so for someone brand new 10 years from now, because it's a period piece, yeah, this is going to hold up for a long time. I've got something behind me. It's right behind me, isn't it? Is uh, it a predator? <laughs> nice. So we're going to talk way more about this movie, but uh, we're going to do it after this short break. So if you haven't seen Ravenous from 1999, give us a pause. Go watch it. Come back, because after the break, we're going to spoil the plot and then talk way more about this movie. See you on the other side. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. 
Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we are back, and it's time for Chad to provide us a plot summary for Ravenous from 1999. Take it away. We've got John Boyd. He is the second lieutenant during the Mexican-American War. He loses his courage and plays dead in the heat of battle while his unit is massacred. He does find some courage after being buried behind Mexican lines and captures the command post, earning him a promotion. However, his general finds out about his cowardice and exiles him to Fort Spencer, which is this cold outpost in the Sierra Nevada. One night, a stranger arrives that's half-dead and frostbitten. Once nursed back to health, he tells the company of a cave where fellow travelers were reduced to cannibalism, much like the Donner Party. The men set out for the cave with a stranger who calls himself Calhoun, but soon discover he is a cannibal and is actually under the curse of the Wendigo. He now has an insatiable hunger for human flesh. Calhoun is actually a soldier named Ives, and he slaughters the party, but Boyd escapes back to the fort. Boyd's horrified to learn that Colonel Ives has been temporarily placed in charge of the fort. Boyd is unable to convince any of the remaining company that Ives is dangerous, and he's ultimately mortally wounded. Ives presents Boyd with a choice of eating flesh and curing himself of his wound or dying. Boyd reluctantly eats the flesh of his dead companion. Ives asks Boyd to join him, but Boyd refuses, ending in a fight where both are caught in a bear trap. Ives thankfully dies before Boyd. Boyd determines to let himself expire rather than to eat Ives and save himself. General Slauson then arrives at the fort shortly afterwards and finds a delicious pot of meat stew still in the fire (laughs) and settles in to enjoy a warm meal. Eat or die. Yes, Yes, we have ourselves a cannibal movie, which I will say, based on the word ravenous, hey, it makes sense, but I wouldn't say I knew that's what we were going to be doing today. Um, So it sets us up for some subject matter that I don't believe we've sunk our teeth into before so chad what's your general take on cannibal movies i enjoy them i've threatened russell for years of putting cannibal holocaust on this show as my dealer's choice that is a that is an infamous movie but there are great great movies uh Fresh is a cannibal movie it just came out in 2022 it was one of my favorites of the year uh, not just in horror movies, but in every movie. It was just excellent. They all have so many different styles. Green Inferno is very similar. These are tribal cannibalism. And this movie, Ravenous, is just, it's different because it's focusing on a Wendigo. It's a creature feature. So and it's one of the earliest ones. There's a terrible movie. It's called Frostbiter. It came out three years before this and it it, it's the first one i know of that features a wendigo but terrible terrible prop 
And then we have movies like uh, The Retreat and Dark is the Night, but those come in the 2000s. So what I said earlier, we, we don't get Wendigo movies, and we should. It is awesome lore. Also, uh, just because I have to, I have to have one of these uh, obligatory statements uh, during uh, these podcasts. But uh, there's a series of books by William Kent Kruger uh, that deal a lot with uh, Native American lore and that sort of thing as it pertains to current mystery. And uh, Wendigo comes up a lot in his books in, in from a human capacity. So yes. yeah, it's fascinating because several different tribes have a Wendigo myth and they all kind of do different things with it. There's an excellent video game series series. Uh, the quarry doesn't have Wendigo. It has werewolves, but uh, uh, until dawn is the predecessor. And that is a Wendigo game, which is fantastic. So what it makes me think of is generally in my head, when I think of the threat of the cannibal, is similar to the threat of the zombie, both want to eat you. Mm. And when I think of like tribal cannibalism, or I, when I think of like the hills have eyes or the people under the stairs, or I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm conflating that like Texas Chainsaw mishmash. But the idea is like they're, they might be, there are more of them. Like the threat is that they're going to swarm you and get you. But here we have something different. We have this spirit, we have this carnal force of the earth that comes from devouring your enemies that really made me think of like the strength or the power or the primal nature of a werewolf. Did you guys feel something like that? Yeah, they're very closely related. And a lot of times the Wendigo is more like a transformed lanky version of a werewolf. Uh, the ritual is another one where it's this type of monster, woodland monster, that's just very, very creepy. And yeah, yeah, I, I definitely look at this more of the howling bucket than I, <laughs> than I do Green Inferno. Brian, do you feel like this movie benefits from playing with the relatively unknown force of the Wendigo or this power that sort of lurks within those who are affected? So, so I got to go a different direction with this question because although I hadn't read any of the William Kent Kruger books you know, when I first saw this movie, in fact, I'm not sure when the first of his books were written. It was probably late 90s, early 2000s. But I was a huge fan of Wendigo in X-Men comics. Mm-hmm. So although portrayed as a villain some of the time, you know, it wasn't always the case, more like a Venom anti-hero sort of character. So uh, it, it wasn't an altogether negative connotation for me when I saw this film the first time. Hmm. Okay. Is there anything, when you say like, is there anything about like, Oh, uh, this power or this force and the idea that there are some people comfortable living with it. Uh, you're saying it's not like a, a creature that is inherently evil or, or solely predatory at like a monster that it's just almost like a, a change of being or like evolution perhaps? Well, I mean, how many different archetypes have we seen in horror where you have a vampire that only feeds on animals or, you know, sure. you know, s- someone aspiring to be better. Like, let's say you had someone like Guy Pierce's character. Louis, Louis from interview. L- Louis it, doesn't want to 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I feel like there's this piece where it's like, okay, you know, your situation doesn't have to dictate who you are. You can dictate what your situation is. So yeah, you got Robert Carlyle's character who's kind of basically sociopathic and it's all right with it. Um, but even, you know, even when you get into the, the, the latter plot where you get more people who are, who are succumbing, you know, they're not, they're not like him. He thinks everybody's like him, but, but really nobody else has been like him. It's interesting though, because I, I had to look this up and the, the ways to kill a Wendigo are just voluminous. Uh, like it, it is buried. <laughs> I said, can you kill a Wendigo by starving it to death? Because the the point for the people that are unfamiliar with this is it's a curse. If you eat another human being, you are cursed with this evil spirit of a Wendigo. And it gives you insatiable hunger for human flesh. And part of this, the common myth, is that you keep growing and you keep transforming. And your growth will always be greater than your uh, hunger. So you, you will never be able to catch up. You will never be full. You will never be satisfied. Mm-hmm. So there's starving a Wendigo. It's an interesting thing with this movie because I, I don't know that I buy it. Like it, it works for this movie because we never get the full transformation. Ives just looks, he looks like a normal human being, but I I'm all for the silver bullet shared with the werewolf myth. Mm -hmm. Well, we get a little bit of like regeneration factor. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Well, well, let me, let me take this from a different angle for you guys. Just perspectual, you know, from a perspective standpoint, Um, you could say that every human being suffers the exact same thing. There's no, we don't get to eat and be full forever. You always hunger again. So I understand the medium has changed in this sense and that we think of cannibalism negatively. So just like any drug addiction or anything else where you need something else, we need food, we need water. So it's all a perspective shift here because... Yeah, I suppose you could say the same thing about like vampires, like they just need to eat. Yeah, they're just like, this is literally just a satisfying a need thing. We're we're bending that narrative to say it's negative because it's cannibalism and it's people. Boo. Yeah. Boo cannibalism. (laughs) But, um, but, but yeah, like you said with, (laughs) like you said with vampires, you know, we, we've now deified vampires in several different mediums at this point, whether it's Morbius or Twilight or, you know, whatever interview with a vampire, you know, you're going to lead with Morbius, Brian. Right. These, these are two terrible examples before you got to a good one. <laughs> all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, 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 is pop culture has now uh, honed the sharp edges of the vampire piece to where it's like, Oh, but they're trying to be good, you know, animal blood or whatnot. I mean, you sure. could if you were Guy Pierce in this, you could eat Robert Carlyle and then lead an entire uh, life as a uh, a morgue doctor and just eat all of the non you know non named you know people come in that you, you're just supposed to put in the furnace and you eat those people and you live the rest of your life healthy and and you know a billion years, right? You've just described the entire plot line of I Zombie. 
All right. That's what she was. Well, there you go. I, I'm just saying that, that there's a workaround for this that literally harms no one. So, like, I get it. I get it. We're, we're here to vilify cannibalism. But let's say, you know, you take the Twilight twist on this and you make Guy Pierce uh, a young, attractive male. And he's all he's got to do is eat some human flesh, but he's not really hurting okay. anybody. Guy Pierce is an attractive man. Uh, 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 Lieutenant Boyd is an attractive dude. He is, but uh, they like, were they were not marketing ravenous to the uh, thirteen to seventeen right, crowd. Right. Okay, so I do want to go back to something you said, which was, we are saying eating people's bad. Yes. Yes. Right, fellas. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This has become a weird and uncomfortable okay. platform. Um, do so not eat people. We'd like to formally state that the hey hey they, they brought. They brought it up at the very beginning of this film that every Sunday, body of Christ. Yep, eat, eat Jesus Christ every every Sunday. So now, yeah. So I, I love looking at it like this, and this perspective of, hey, he's just got to eat, um, and there's a possibility that eat. if Boyd eats uh, Calhoun or Ives, then. Instead of Ives' plan to set up this outpost as a place to trap the people who were making the westward journey uh, and take them unawares, and essentially these innocents just looking for prosperity, that he's going to get them. That instead we might have Boyd, who lives with this curse but tries to do better. Uh, Am I making sense with, with... Kind of coming from that perspective that you could be afflicted with this curse, but not be a bad guy. I, I don't want to change or destroy my change one thing for later in this podcast, but I've, okay. I've, I've got to say this because it fits so well as a puzzle piece in this. Let's say like there, there's a the conundrum at the end of this film. They're both in the bear trap. Yes. Carlisle brings it up. Now, let's say that there was an end credit scene. Carlisle on one hand or Guy Pierce on the other. And it's 1998 and they're at Ruth's Chris having a glass of wine. And you're just like, Oh, you know, you have that moment because they weren't really doing those in credit scenes hardcore at this point. So you could, no, have, they weren't. You, right. could you could have had this piece that people utterly missed in theaters. And then everybody's like losing their mind about it on uh, online, which is a fledgling thing too at the time. And Rice said of, of Lestat and Louis, this is the story of the saddest of vampires you'll ever read, even though their life seemed as if it was like one of luxury. But I do like this idea, right? I like what we're going, but now we're playing in in sort of what if world. And I think we've got time for what if world later. We've got Boyd here, Lieutenant Boyd, who, uh, as you described, Captain uh, Captain Boyd, Captain sorry. Jack Sparrow, Captain. Jack. Yeah, I, I was confused because uh, I thought of uh, Captain Algren from Last Samurai. Um, I think they have a similar backstory of like decorated war hero uh, who's kind of like stuck in a in a different place but with with Boyd here with Captain Boyd he 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 does kind of take the coward's way he ends up taking the enemy command after he was buried under a bunch of bodies um, and he is found out and sent to Fort Spencer and so he isn't he he, he understands and he believes that like yeah I I was, I'm being punished for my cowardice. 
So Boyd has an idea of what redemption might be, but I would say his character for if he has very few lines. Uh, I don't know if there's that much depth to him being some good guy. That opening flashback of him being buried, that was my first indication that I wound up being very, very wrong of this is going to be a Wendigo flick because it showed him under the bodies and the blood running into his mouth. And then he talks about suddenly getting this courage and this There was a change, yes. And I actually had to go through and read several different plot summaries. It's like, wait a minute. He wasn't already in the process of becoming a Wendigo? During when he ran into Ives, and no, it was actually that meat stew that he ate to save his life. But I thought he had started his journey in the transformation much, much earlier. He he had just a little taste, but but right. Let let me bring right. up let me bring up the really unsung part of Guy Pierce's character in this. At no point in time is he anything less than absolutely honest. Yeah, he did all the the. All, you think they knew he was a coward based on some vague innuendo that how did he get behind the lines? No, he told him, he said, Hey, I played dead. I played dead. I was, I was buried under bodies and, and crawled out from under him and took the thing. And that's why they banished him. Then later on, he tells exactly what happened with Rick Carlisle's character. Despite all the ridicule, he even used the word Wendigo. Like, Hey, I'm going to call it a Wendigo. He could have packaged that however he wanted to to make it right. But no, he was 100% honest. So, I believe he's also given the opportunity to lie. Yes. He's, yeah. he's, told he's encouraged. Story. He's encouraged to. He's encouraged yeah. to lie. So I, I really think one of the really unsung bottom lines of this movie, that's why I think at the very end, if they had popped an, like a, a credit scene or something, shows him and like – you know, modern times enjoying a glass of wine at a nice restaurant in California or something. It would have been like a, Oh, he broke. He wasn't making it past Martha. Martha was going to kill him. Like she, she checks in in that barn. Martha always messes things up, man. (laughs) Yeah. She's, she's in the tent. She doesn't trust that dude from the get go. Right. I I hear you. The the death song uh, being sung in the background for her brother, George, like she, she knows what's up and she just wants to make sure there's mutually assured destruction there. Right. And, but, but I guess what my point is, is if you look at Guy Pierce's character, I would say it's exactly the opposite of no growth. He finds something to stand up for. He finds his courage. He finally realizes what he has to do and he does it even though it's not the easy way up. I suppose I wasn't saying no growth. I was saying no depth. Right. I don't. I don't think there's much to him. Honesty, sure, I'll give it to you. Uh, the, the 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 button scene or the stinger scene of him like potentially being in the future, like that doesn't doesn't fit to me. I think this his kind of story wraps up pretty nicely. I, I, and um, he does show some bravery, and he does show some uh, willingness to be a part of the team. And like, I don't think he's a bad character. But I, I just I was thinking to myself, we've got a little ragtag group. And Boyd uh, is just kind of quiet and sullen and there. But then we've got the rest of the Fort Spencer crew, which I, I really wanted to spend a little bit of time on. Uh, you've got Private Cleves. So you got David Arquette, strange role. You've got our little our little uh, Toffler, who is the, the pious sort of 
Him writer. Cleves wasn't military, was it? He was just like the token toker. He's listed as private. He is private? So, okay. Yep. Yeah. Does he ever wear I, I feel like I never saw Arquette in a uniform. Lazy. Yeah, he, he, but it's, he doesn't go on the expedition with them. Um, and I believe the only thing he does is cook. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. He he went with Martha to town and, and smoked. Right. On- right. Uh, then you've got uh, Neil McDonough <laughs> looking just like he always Dude, does. Yeah, that Brandon man. Reich. I wish he'd had more insanity scenes, like the scene of him in the creek with no shirt on, just <laughs> yeah. screaming. Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted more. He's our that. he's our real soldier. Right. Right. And then, and of course, you've got uh, Hart. You've got uh, Colonel Hart, played by Jeffrey Jones. A fun role for him. What do you think about sort of these these characters? Sort of at surface level, they can all be described as like one emotion or one characteristic. Like Hart is kind of a bumbling guy, but as soon as they learn about the tragedy, he's like, we got to go. So he's like bumbling but brave. Reich is like adamant, like, he, like the, being a soldier and being on the front is kind of my entire life. Uh, Brian, t- tell us more about Reich or any of these other guys that you just like you think about when you think about this movie. So, I mean, I, I thought they went a little too out of their way to be like, and he's the drunk and this is right. the stoner. Yeah, and, and, you know, this is the commander who's just like, oh, why have I been saddled with these people? I'm just going to eat walnuts. Oh, these knuckleheads. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I like it, it just and then he gets the coward. He gets the coward that, you know, that's the next guy. Like, this is the crap outpost. And and he sees in the coward. He's like, well, you know, at least he's not a you know, he's not the religious guy who is is literally so awkward that it's it's almost uncomfortable. And then you've got, you know, the drunk doctor which is the worst combination of two uh character <laughs> traits you can put between two people and then you've got you know again i i still to this point even though chad said it i i, I have a hard time seeing him being in the military given the fact that he's high 24 7 and be, being told not to go whoring so i not that that's not something soldiers do so please i'd like me. to introduce you to the navy <laughs> so anyway um like this is literally outside of uh, of madonna's character like this is the worst group of people and when you get guys and I'm, i i hate making this comparison but it was the first thing that came to mind when you get guys like madonna's character who in a way translates to um rob schneider's character in down periscope where he's just like he's so intense on duty that it's a negative like it becomes a negative now, mm-hmm. I'm comparing a comedy to a horror movie right now. So, of course, it's not going to be exactly right. But but you have these guys who, who are so intense that it ends up being to the detriment of the group. Like they're so into what, what they're supposed to be doing that everybody hates them for it. So, um, and, and, you know, probably some of that comes from, you know, alpha male syndrome, whatever you want to call it. But this is not a group of people you want to be thrown in with. However, had none of this cannibalism happened, like he could have lived basically the rest of his life in peace, being a, a conglomerate of all these other people, which is what Hart was. He was a conglomerate of everybody. Did he drink? Yes. Did he smoke? I believe that's what they were passing around on the pipe in the, in the TP at that one point on the mountainside. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So it's like, no, he doesn't overindulge like Knox does. 
But, you know, he kind of dabbles in a little bit of all the, the sloth that was happening. And what, that's why I think he was the most susceptible to the cannibalism because he was like, eh, go along to get along. And then he kind of realizes the toll that that decision puts on his shoulders. And he's like, just, just kill me. Just kill me quick. Yeah, this this movie, Brian kind of hit on the stereotypes. I couldn't help but make the comparison to Predator. And every the single... The word's out of my mouth, man. I, every Same single here. one of those characters, they have personality. They have something more to them than just drunk, uh, crazy guy. Oh, Although Jesse Ventura, like... That, this stuff makes you a sexual tyrannosaurus. Right. Never take old painless out of the bag. Yes. I, I wanted better characterization for them. I wanted more Joseph Running Fox. He's there as George, the Indian scout. And his whole purpose is to be kind of this mystical figure that leads them into the myth. And then he dies. And he makes the worst decision of anybody ever in the process. Yeah. More to, more to come. He's not given a gun. He's got a traditional bow because we've got to double down on the fact that he's Native American. <laughs> right. He, he pronounces Wendigo, 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 which which is appropriate. Was it a was it a directorial problem to have him not be able to speak English? We know Martha could. Uh, I mean, I suppose maybe. Oh, if he only speaks in his native tongue, and we must require colonel hart to translate for him then it might seem more authentic but i don't feel like this movie was going for authenticity or nor would i say that this movie actually takes itself that seriously which we'll get to but i almost feel like his lack of depth i i am completely with you here chad that i wanted more from this group and it's not like we had them for that long now part of that is because a couple of them come back but yeah, these guys were, in a way, almost painfully one note. And you, you would have liked to see more uh, from from any of them. But yeah, uh, they, they go down pretty quick. That little adventure that we have to go on, we learn that there's this uh, cannibalistic situation going on in a cave. It's near here, three, four days walk. The adventure saves Boyd from hell. That's living like living out the rest of his life in Fort. Oh, I had it before Fort Spencer. Yep. Living out the rest of his life in Fort Spencer seems like the worst punishment you could have. Who would want that? Uh, th this adventure is like a way out almost. I would have done it. I would have done. Yeah, dude, sign me up, man. You're going to put me in the Sierra Nevadas and be like, Hey, there's really no expectation for you whatsoever. Yes. With eight other lousy men and no hope of promotion. Like that's, that is, that's career but suicide. You, you got a town to go to for whoring, though. Come on, Chad. Yeah, there's no whoring. They were explicit yeah, about it, that. Only only if you're the stone guy. Only if you're the stone guy. No one's telling the captain no whoring. Brian, I'm not arguing with you that I would love to spend some time out there, but I, not when you are forced to be out there for the rest of your career. Like, this is just where you're going to be. And we saw that it wore on Colonel Hart. But yeah, I think we needed a little more time with that lot. I would have liked that. But the the structure of this movie didn't allow it, uh, even for the, the time frame. Because it wasn't, it's not a long movie. I think this is right at around 90, 95 minutes, something like that. I think it's an appropriate length for what they had to do, which is you can't have 
the predator amount of time of everybody together with the unknown thing that's out there, something in them trees. We can't have that because we have to have the the a third of the way through, maybe we're talking 40 minutes, when we get our turn from Colhoun, that it's a trap. And that's when I really sat forward in my seat thinking, oh, now, now what are we really getting into? Then we get another reveal of like Calhoun is is Ives and Ives is getting a promotion. Now do we do we understand how that happened? I don't think we need to know exactly how it happened, but the shock is that uh Ives comes back, Robert Carlyle's character comes back and we get more delicious screen time with him. Uh I don't I don't think we exactly know where he went or what, what what's the city where the the other like commanding officer where Slauson's coming from? Is it San Diego or something? I don't know no, the answer to that. But you just know he's the, coming. The idea is that somehow he's ingratiated his way back into the military corps, and then he's back with Boyd at Fort Spencer. So with like the, the structure of this doesn't allow us more time, and I feel like that was kind of a shame because I really would have liked more time with these characters. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. What you had mentioned the blood running down the bodies into Boyd's mouth. This is a bloody and gory movie. Chad, did it satiate your appetite for such carnal desires? I mean, no, no. I've <laughs> can't I, anything. I I have watched so many horror movies. Evil Dead the the remake is probably the most gory and the new one comes out in a couple days. I cannot wait. Just 50,000 buckets of blood. They literally ran out of blood in this movie for the final fight. Like they, they just couldn't do anymore. They ran out of fake blood. So no, no, I, I want to see Robert Kyla Carlisle's character gnawing on some legs like taking a big old raw bite out of someone give me that give me that extra gore give me that extra crunch they had to work to make this movie rated r i don't think if i'm doing a cannibal movie that i have to work very hard interesting i think i'm actually sort of subscribing to what you're saying here is that if we're going to hit the taboo subject of cannibalism and I only say taboo because it's one of those things that even things like comic books for a very long time uh, would still restrict uh, the idea of cannibalism or I think they use the term ghouls, anything that ate flesh. It's like, no, 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 we won't do that. Uh, so that's why like cannibalism movies are kind of a rare treat, uh, so to speak. So like this is it, this is something where, yeah, we could have seen more teeth on flesh ripping at the bone. Do you agree, Brian, that we could have had more of that? Or is it meant to be more implied, artistic, suspenseful than just in-your-face gnawing on bones? I think that the one of the biggest misses of this movie is the idea that at any point in time during that final sequence where they're trapped in the bear trap, that uh, Carlisle could have literally bit Guy Pierce's nose off and start the process. Let's go. <laughs> he could have, right? Like he could have just started off on his face and and survived the whole thing. And like I understand that's not where the movie was going as a whole, but I got to tell you, like there were some outs there where I'm like, bite him, bite right? him, bite him right now. He's right there. He's right in front of you. Yep. 
Yep, he's not going anywhere. Feast. Right. You you could get to his shoulders, champ. Like you're telling me you can't do a crunch yeah. and get a get a get a nice chunk of that, you know, Goldberg muscle. Let's go. Mm. And that was changed too. The final fight scene was changed to the building was going to be on fire and it was going to be a rooftop fight. And I think one of the one of the two of them, maybe even both, were going to be impaled, something like that. I mean, Carlisle was definitely impaled at least once, or were we talking about by a larger implement than a pitchfork? Yeah, I I think this was just roofing structure, building support, just being impaled by some kind of pole. But instead, we just get them absolutely wailing on each other, which is great, too. Absolutely. I kind of want to see rooftop fire scenes. I, I think back to Dustin's question earlier on the show, I think what I noticed more on this rewatch, just doing it with a more critical eye, was uh, that could have been avoided completely. Uh, now, why on earth would you do that? Like, like there right. was there was some decision making where I'm like, that's questionable for a novice, let alone someone who's a professional. So, what are you doing? A novice eater or like a novice soldier? All, all of the above. Like the point, <laughs> the point where they see Carlisle, they being uh, uh, Guy Pierce and McDonough, right, they see him on a cliff face, and you're both going to walk off on the cliff face where he could literally jump off, jump out and push both of you off that cliff at any given time is insane. Like I was like, why, why, why are you doing that? What? Yeah. I suppose we have to to consider that there was enough of a panic that there, I mean, you wouldn't expect it from Reich. You would expect him to stick with whatever the smartest training was, but it almost feels as if like he was well, he wanted to shoot somebody. maybe too like eager. He was, yeah, he was super excited to shoot him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, things fall apart quickly. Um, and they need to so that we can get to the more, I guess, psychological piece. It's not seduction. It's not like a vampire, drink from me and live forever. He at any time, at any time throughout this movie, um, Carlisle's character, uh, Ives, can can just overpower any of these people, but it's this slow, I mean, you described him as a sociopath. It, it's, it's this slow, like letting things develop. I suppose the, the, the loss yeah. of human life means nothing to him. So mm-hmm. like what, what you get from Hart and from Boyd is, is different and he doesn't get it. Like he's like, no, no, no. as soon as you realize I'm right about this, clearly I'm right about this, but they, you know, you know, when he says like, how about the dreams? You know, like there, there's something inherently negative that, that, that Carlisle's character lacks that others don't. Mm-hmm. And, and I would almost say, and, and I don't know if you guys got this vibe at all, but he was like, you know, I'm going West into con- convalescence due to tuberculosis. I got a doc holiday vibe off of him a lot. And that's a man. Mm-hmm. And that's a man who took life very easily like with with very little compunction so i'm not saying like okay this is clearly doc holiday or anything like that i'm just saying that that i feel like there was a subtle tie-in to saying you know guys who live to excess and develop things like tuberculosis not saying you have to do things to excess to have to right but but i'm just saying that they they kind of took an angle at this where where his 
because he he valued his life so little at the end, given the suicidal thoughts, given the dark dreams, given the fact that he had TB, like he had a bunch of stuff stacked against him. So once he survived all of that, human life meant less to him. You know, this brings up something. The story about the group that's going west that leads to the first cannibal thing. We know that some of it's a lie. Mm. Do we know if any of it's true? No, I would I, I would say you could probably go with with all lie to a to a degree. I mean, look, and any, if that's the case, do we believe that Ives has been doing this for way longer than the story suggests that he's been this these had the Wendigo in him for a longer period of time. Well, that's where I kind of got the idea that if they did this end credit scene where, you know, you see one or <laughs> one or both of them, you know, in modern times, you don't know how old he is. Right. At this but point. That my first thought when they said it was 1847, I think is, is the year they said this movie was taking place in I'm like, huh, why did you do that? And then we get to this this party in a cave and I'm like, okay, are we doing the Donner party? And they mm-hmm. never say yeah. the name, but that the years match up. That's clearly what they're doing. So I, I would say that there's, whether he's part of the Donner party or not, mm-hmm. um, I kind of like to think that he is. I, I like to think of him as kind of the, originator of that disaster yeah but isn't isn't that like the maybe what i would call the best part of this movie is they they allude to so much and say so little that it lets the watcher it teases you yeah it teases you to wonder wonder how or how long or like and especially this last or this last watch was how long has this guy been doing this? Because right. in a in a false self-deprecation, he says, this guy said he's been doing it forever. He was a, supposed to be a good guide, uh, but he was anything but. So clearly he led them astray on purpose. Mm-hmm. Started dying. Well, if, if that part of the story is true as well. What, uh, but like I, I, but I do fits, understand. Yeah. But it completely fits. It does fit. Like yeah. he, he's literally copping to what he did as someone like saying he's someone else. Right. And I think the time frame he gives is three months, but who knows if it's three years or I, 10 years. No, no, we're, I, I don't think we're saying whether or not the time frame for that specific group was that. I think that's mm-hmm. absolutely correct. But how many times has he led a group to their deaths? Oh yeah. That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at too is like the, the, the how much longer before, Right. Had it been happening, so well, it is. It is really good brain food to to talk about this kind of stuff. Is and sometimes I, I've said on this show that there's some movies that are really enjoyable to watch, and there's some movies that are also really enjoyable to talk about. And I would say that this movie really fits into the the latter for sure. Really, really fun to talk about, especially considering this sort of Wendigo entity. But another thing to talk about is we described it as being horror. You said, hey, it's not horror adjacent. Uh, suspense is a word I used. But this movie is also a comedy. No doubt about it. There's stylistically the choice to make some things uh, like tongue-in-cheek funny, to make some words, like some of the phrases 
at key moments when sometimes drama should be triumphing, where we have Ives saying like, that was a really sneaky move. Reminded me of El Guapo from Three Amigos. Hmm. Like this movie does a really, I think, and I've had, I've had a guest on this show tell me like, no, I don't think it's that funny. Like, well, you, I, it is, it's very clearly done in this way. In fact, if you were to pull it up on your, uh, on, on your streaming service, it's going to be described as horror comedy. So Chad, what do you think about this? Uh, like we didn't know what bucket to put it in, but we hadn't really talked about the comedy yet. See, I, I feel like it went for the comedy very early. By the way, it misspells Nietzsche's name. So that's strike one right <laughs> off the bat. Like, you got to get that right. What are you doing, editors, anyone responsible for that? But with the little eat me quote that comes after it, like, okay, yeah. all right, I'm up for this. And then it was a very serious war scene with just death and everything. And But we get that slurping, disgusting eating scene where he's just Guy Pierce is actually a vegetarian. He does have to eat meat in this movie, but he sp- spits it out. But so his reactions are probably not an acting job during oh, this wow, movie. Yeah. But I I feel like they pulled away too much. I I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you. I would not put it in the comedy bucket. Occasionally they say funny things. David Arquette is clearly, he was told it was a comedy. I I feel like that part is clear because he is hamming it up way more than that character should. Like Toffler is a dork. He's given that dork role with his religious spiel, but it does, it comes off as irritating and not really amusing. And so I would have liked him to pull over or lean into it more, I guess. And he's the, uh, he's a translator from Saving Private Ryan, right? I don't remember. I, I, I don't I don't really his face didn't actually stand out to me. Yeah, one thing it, this for me in genres it got dumped into Western. And yeah. I, I think that's interesting because I don't consider California Western. I get where they're coming from, but i I still have to chew on that because when I think Western, I think horses, I think cowboys, I think if we're going Western horror, yeah. bone tomahawk. Yeah, he was but, he was Corporal Upham in uh, Saving Private Ryan. Like he he really like harped on this bumbling soldier piece for a bunch, uh, like for a long time. And it, it's weird because I didn't make that connection until five seconds ago. Hmm. And, and I was thinking, like, who else does the you know that that whole piece? And I was like, ah, oh, it reminds me of the guy from saving private Ryan that looks just like him <laughs> so so chad i actually i i think we're maybe a little close a little more closely aligned than than you might have thought i think this movie attempts comedy and doesn't reach what it wanted to like they should have leaned into it more if they if the choice from our director was to have it be funny as well because there's the, many movies have jokes that aren't comedies, but uh, for you know, for what Griffin the writer, and then Antonia Bird, I feel as if what we're actually dealing with here is an attempt that I think falls short. Um, you had mentioned some of the like David Arquette as as comedy. I'm I'm looking at 
I'm looking at uh, at Colonel Hart, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Jeffrey Jones' entire character is comedic. I mean, if you want to see a movie that does this really well, there's a, I believe it's 2020, it was called Werewolves Within. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of a similar concept of a whodunit. Who is this werewolf and, and where are they coming from? Or who is this beast? How are these people suddenly mutilated and dying? But there's a lot of comedy. It's got the... I, I can't remember her actual name, but it's Lily from AT&T. I know uh, who that is. Uh, Milana Weintraub. Yes. Yes. Thank you. She she stars in it. She does a fantastic job, but it's in out in Alaska. So another very similar type setting, uh, but does it nails the comedy part a whole lot better. And I think that's what I'm getting at uh, is that I don't believe that I think I think that they make some strides, but I don't know if they nail the comedy in it. Uh, we do have um, Slauson, or we have somebody who mispronounces the Wendigo, uh, the Wendigi. Oh and, yeah, Wendigi. And, and yeah, the Wendigi. And and his his sort of man at arms kind of looks at him. Uh, he's like, I know, I mispronounced it on purpose. I'm trying to make a point. Like that is it's hey, it's pretty good. But tonally, I feel like we kind of bounce around from how serious and psychological do we want to think about this, and how how much further are we going to see, uh, you know, Colonel Hart have a problem stepping on the stones through the river, and and he kind of he kind of falls in. And if we're going to go with the serious note, then hey, if your boot falls into the river, then oh, we've got a serious situation in the mountains. We we have to go warm you up by the fire right now before you lose that foot. Like I, I, it it kind of the, with the tonal shifts here, it, it kind of jerks you around uh, in in a way that leaves it left me at least thinking like, how am I supposed to categorize or at least how am I supposed to follow the tone of this movie? Well, let me put it to you this way. If you had a group of people of questionable morals and basically there that were there due to punishment and you had them go off on this quest of sorts to do something, what do you think the dialogue between those people would be? profane and very surface level I, I i'm just saying that that on a on a level of saying that okay well the comedy seemed force or trite i think you're getting a bunch of people who put together don't really fit because they are the dregs of the military they're there due to punishment and the movie is doing its best to direct your attention to the fact that none of these people truly fit together and that their, their jokes and that their, their personalities don't fit. And it, okay. if you want to, so it, it's a choice to have them not be in sync so well. Exactly. I mean, okay. look, even I look at, that. even look, look at the, the part where they go into the cave, he sends Boyd and, you know, the soldier in saying, I got to have an officer in there and, you know, there's this catastrophic breakdown in discipline outside, even though the yeah. leader is out there with them. Like none of this works right because none of these people have any business being together in the first place. Like, sure. Th- this is the, these are the people they're like, ah, I don't know what to do with them. They suck. Where do I put them? Let's put them do, here. Okay. And now I'm picking up what you're laying out. Do you think any other group? I think, I think, <laughs> I think I know the answer to this. This is the worst equipped group to deal with this situation. 
almost any other group of soldiers <laughs> could handle this way better. It's because of their dog uh, soldiers. Yes. Yeah. Dog soldiers. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying like the, what they're equipped for is staying put at an outpost to be like, move along. Like here you are move along. That's, that's what they're equipped for. They're equipped for no trauma, casualty, anything else. Their doctor is crap faced 100% of the time. Yeah. Like this, he, he, this he is not be a veterinarian. So yeah, that's why he's is, the doctor. This is not My advice for you. Don't get sick. Yeah. This is, this is not where you want people to be. This is why we put them there. Fix and forget. So yeah, that's that's why you're getting this. And if you want to go on like really, really like atrocious verbal faux pas in this, you actually have the Native American guide. The one thing that I understood out of everything he's talking about when he's showing the picture of the Wendigo to the superior officers is he says Ojibwe. Ojibwe is yeah. is is the the white people name for the Anishinaabe. So he's literally using the 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 white man's term for a tri- so he's he's using our word for them as opposed uh-huh. to their actual name. I think this movie succeeds uh even without but we do get some good um dialogue and monologue. I think it's just few and far between. Uh the movie succeeds in its like kind of feel. It's kind of creepy unsettling feel uh without words in many time in many places. Sometimes just the we can tell that like days are passing. Uh, and during this time, we've got kind of a, a, an unsettling soundtrack. Brian, do you think of this? Mu- the, you've seen this movie before. Do you think of this music as like, oh, this is prime keeping me like unsettled? I think the music is really the only thing outside of the, the, the piece I was talking about on how the interaction between characters comes across as comedy, I think is there. But I actually think the music is what keeps that comedic piece there. Like I actually think they use the the soundtrack, bit, yeah, the the score for this as more a comedic piece than the characters interacting ever was. It's almost kind of like the way that like Battle of Menti's score, like the incredibly moving score of Twin Peaks, can be really adding a dramatic punch to something incredibly mundane in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like we have a situation where uh, I believe it's Toffler is being chased by Ives and they've got banjo and fiddle music playing. Mm. Yes. Yep. And that's, that's another place where I'm just sort of like, this is, I think the decision had to be made by Antonio bird to say, we're going to kind of keep you uncomfortable with what we're trying to do here. Um, I thought there was another instance of this where, uh, where Ives, when he's still kind of known as Calhoun is he's got his gloves on, he's moving his fingers kind of at Toffler, but he's not getting closer. He's not getting further away, but that scene lasts a long time. Do you guys remember this? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like, what what are we doing? Is it taking this long for us to like, like intentionally almost like clunkily build suspense? Because I will say it's working, but it was just it struck me as strange. I wrote in all caps. I hate this soundtrack so much, and there were several instances. So when Boyd first gets sent to Fort Spencer, 
there's this irritating picking style, but they throw in a trumpet, and I think it was a harmonica. And these are uh, usually don't have a trumpet with these other two instruments present. And that song goes on for an eternity. And in all caps, I said, Dear God, please make it stop. I found it distracting and frustrating and tonally inappropriate. Like there are ways to use strings, but I don't associate California with banjos. I don't associate the Sierra Nevadas with fiddles. I I get we're going for more Western tone, but they're bright Western. We've done Silverado together. We've done Tombstone. You, these people by 1999, you know what a Western soundtrack should sound like, right? So, well, let me ask you this: what 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 do you associate uh, instrumentally with uh, wagon train 1800s California? Violin, fiddle, harmonica. These are fine. Don't throw trumpets in. That's weird. But banjo's not a weird thing to say. That would be a Thing I would not. Way. I would not put a banjo in a western. No, but that's that's it within the realm of things that they might have. If uh, yeah, if 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 there's if there's some homesteaders kind of hitting the dusty trail and they're going out kind of and hey, we've got whole westward expansion. We've and we're we're going to um, prosperity and there's all this. Like <laughs> I can see there being kind of like a you know kind of the dum, 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 dum. I can see that. Um, but that's where it's kind of like, well, we know that this is happening during this time period that other Westerns might be happening, but this, this suspenseful, uh, natural thriller about this creature feature, like you had said, Chad, like that's where it almost doesn't seem to fit. So like, there's things that I have to think, and if I'm doing my best shot to give all the credit to Antonio Bird here, that these are choices meant to be not distracting the like like you'd said chad but like meant to just kind of throw you off kilter that's the best compliment i can give it for when things seem disjointed if it's true that's fair that's what they successfully did in a movie like it follows they throw things out there that make you feel uncomfortable and make you feel out of place and make you question when is this taking place because things didn't quite match up but using the soundtrack to not match up that's a decision that I just, I can't get behind. I, I think you need a different set of strings. You need the violin, you need the cello, you need things that can produce more menace and terror than comedy. Like we went for Yokel running through the woods, like you said, with uh, Toffler. Yeah, that 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 sound, that part of the soundtrack kind of seems as if like, that's the sound that happens when like, uh, a man in his like onesie pajamas is getting like chased out of an outhouse in a cartoon. Right. Jed Clampett has done something <laughs> stupid. Right. But, but agreed. But that was in California. That was I, in he, California. Yes. He California. So, California. I, yeah. Yes. So I guess all I'm saying is, yes, I agree that the, the music is out of place, but I think the music did more for the comedy piece that they're putting on the the billing for the movie on imdb than any of the acting did like i think the acting was appropriate for people who shouldn't be around each other it had no place being like the you know 
sorry, here's the obligatory one. Here's where all the ups congregate and mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. So, yeah. you know, that- you've already had your one, sir. That was his first, that was his fir- first that- F-bomb. That was his first F-bomb, but he's already gotten the bleep for his sexual Tyrannosaurus. Oh, well. <laughs> Third one. Well, uh, what I, I just want to throw it to get- you guys. I want to throw it to you guys with, with regard to sort of any of our other details. So we've really talked about our cast. We've talked about the score. We've talked about like our setting. Is there anything else that we want to hit before we uh, go to our superlatives? I enjoyed the costumes. I I I liked the costumes quite a bit. It will come back again with best wardrobe. Right. I do wish that they had gone for a deeper red for their blood mixture, particularly when Robert Carlyle uh, Calhoun has just chowed down and he's at the clifftop and he's facing them and it almost looks like he's got bright red lipstick. And I understand mm. that fresh blood is bright red and that's what they were going for. But then you, I think of the Evil Dead movies, and they're spraying this dark red on people. There's, they're not covered in cherry red. Right. So I understand that was a stylistic decision of, hey, fresh blood, this is scary. But it, I think it would have been more intimidating had it been a deeper color. I might have been distracted by something towards the end of this movie. What in what? Instance, why exactly is there a red like blood cross on Ives' forehead in that last scene? I don't think that was explained. I I I do think it ties back into you know some some biblical references to you know the body. If only Toffler were around to give us any religious context for anything, (laughs) except for writing his hymn that it was bad. Um, Well. Let's 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 not let's not think about what Toffler didn't do. Let's think about what everybody did in our superlatives. You be ready, boys. Let's go. I'm ready, Brian. Who's your MVP of 1999's Ravenous? I gave it to Robert Carlyle uh, for one scene specifically. His transformation from fairly reasonable person to cannibal to like the don't don't you know put me put me in chains there's something wrong with me and then he gets that like he gets this jerky motion in the mm. hand ha, 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 ha. dude that i i seriously think that is the creepiest part of the movie and why they didn't shoot him in the face immediately as soon oh, as yeah. he starts losing it i'm like that's that, that that's the only part of this movie that's zombie-esque to me where he starts mm. like really losing his mind because once he succumbs it's almost like being away from it for a hot minute gave him a little humanity back and as soon as he was being reassociated with it like he starts you know getting the hunger it's like oh I'm sorry, heroin addict. Here's a whole bunch of heroin that you used and and, and whatever's around here. And he's like, <laughs> that was, that was such a, I mean, sure. As, as the audience, you're like, shoot him in the face, shoot, yep. shoot, shoot him in the face right now. Hey, guy with a loaded musket that just stands there being useless the whole time. Shoot. Hey, yeah. guy with the bow and arrow, shoot him in the <laughs> face. Hey, guy with the pistol, shoot him in the face. Yeah, one of you three, please shoot him in the face. This is not going to end well. Like, What's pretty cool is that the pendulum swing goes from, this isn't just a guy who's kind of in custody and at his best or strongest or nourished, he's just a man. 
what we realize is like, oh no, this is far, this is something far greater. So it does play with what is possible in that situation. Right. Who's your MVP, Jed? Went with Robert Carlyle as well. He really chews on the scenery. So yes, he's he's eminently untrustworthy right from the get-go, but the antithesis, antithesis of Guy Pierce. He is captivating anyways. Like I could still see see myself saying, you know what? I'm going to see where this goes. I don't trust this dude at all, but he's sort of charming in a crazy way. I'm going to see where this takes us, and then I'm going to be Stu. When, and then I'm going to be Stu. Yeah, when I was talking about uh, like describing people just by like with one adjective, one word, you know, heart is like bumbling but brave. Colhoun, the first word I thought of was like, this guy's shifty, untrustworthy is what I wrote. Like that, it, and he plays it so well. And guys, I'm giving him my MVP as well. I think he steals the show. Uh, he he plays a wide range of things, and I think he he can be as wild as like a Charles Manson type of um, manic, and he can also be in his sort of uh, officer's uniform. He can be suave, and if we deal with his like powers, like he's he's got a like a little bit of a Lestat energy to me. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I think he did a. I think he did a great job. Let's look at our best supporting actor, Brian. So my best supporting on this one is McDonough. I this this movie actually I knew it. I knew it would be. <laughs> this is the movie that made me follow his career. Like I, I literally started waiting for him to be in more stuff because I was like, this guy's kind of like creepy in a way. Um, He's great as Damien Dark. Yeah. So uh, this this literally was the movie that started me watching for him in stuff. And uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, the soldier. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's a he's a band of brothers guy, right? He is. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's, he's Buck. Buck That's probably why I knew that you'd be picking him. Chad, who's your best supporting actor? I really enjoy when Jeffrey Jones shows up and... Colonel Hart was the closest to having a personality amongst all the company. So I, I enjoyed his character. I liked how Jeffrey Jones played him. Uh, Chad, we are really quite aligned because I said nearly the exact same thing is that I think he's the only character who fulfills the comedy stylings successfully. Um, and I think uh, he has enough screen time to develop depth. Uh, and I don't think we get enough of that. So uh, Jeffrey Jones, uh, and maybe it's just the way the character's written, but I also love him in Beetlejuice. I love him uh, anytime that I see him. I think he's got a good, uh, subtle comedic chops. Uh, and so while I will not remember this movie as a comedy, I'll remember it for its mishmash of stuff. Uh, he'll always stand out as this role. What's well, a hidden gem for you, Brian? You know, I was going to go with uh, uh, Bill Bo- uh, Botch- Botchstrip. Bill Bostrup. Um, he plays the uh, second to the general. Uh, I'm going to blank on his name right now, but um, Lindus. Yeah. Lindus. General yeah. Slauson. I've yeah, seen him. Yeah. I've seen him in so many bit parts and so many TV shows over the years that I was like, Oh, you had a bit part in a movie. Good for you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's more hidden gem than that? Chad, what about you? I mean, Joseph Running Fox, he is George. That's our scout. 
I really wish he was around more, and I wish his only purpose wasn't just, hey, I'm going to drop in, give you some Wendigo lore, and immediately die. Like, mm. give us give us a last man standing, or like a, a true fight against Calhoun. Give me something of, he oh, just man. doesn't get punked. Chad, that's just it, though. This is not Predator. You, you want Billy. You want Billy from Predator. I do. I do. Yeah, and, and I do too, but that's because we all do some in them trees. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a great choice. My hidden gem, see, I didn't, I couldn't find a hidden gem in this movie that uh, stood out. There were a lot of things that I thought were were cool, but the, the thing that stood out to me was I was actually talking to one of my staff members uh, about this movie, and I was I was talking about whether I was considering recommending it or not. And I mentioned the Wendigo and she kind of went white because that stories like that stories about like eating flesh or shape-shifting things about that, of that nature kind of cryptozoology things uh, apparently. And I did not know this kind of freak her out. And she was like, there's no way I'm watching this movie. So my hidden gem is an interaction I had with somebody else because of this movie. Yeah. Uh, so I'm thankful for that. Okay, Brian, seems- here's a weird one. Okay. You got a recast. Who are you going to recast in this movie? Because I enjoy doing this on the podcast, I am recasting John Spencer for Brian Cox. (laughs) Of course, Brian Brian Cox in more movies. No, I mean, come on, you can't see you can't see him berating uh, Boyd's character for being a coward in in a very succession like manner. Like I, oh, I, absolutely I can. Yeah. oh man, I look, look, I have no problem with John Spencer. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is the epitome of the character actor, but more Brian Cox more often. I believe the, it's the, I believe this podcast is really pro Brian Cox. I know I am. Uh, who are you recasting? If you have to Chad. I thought David Arquette was absolutely awful in this movie and I'm just getting him out entirely. I feel like somebody gave him a script and said, buddy, this is a comedy. And they gave everyone else a script that said, this is a horror movie. And David (laughs) Arquette never got that amendment. So I'm not even sure who you replace him with. I think I'm going to go with Matthew Lillard who leans into the weird even more. I'm feeling kind of woozy, man. Right. <laughs> parents are gonna be so mad. Hey, look, I, I'll, I'll, I'll never, uh, I'll never be upset about a Matthew Lillard recast. So that's. I'm not even a David Arquette hater. I just, right. I don't know what he was doing in this movie. Being a, oh, I can't go for three. Being a dip schnitzel. I will tell you, he, he, he does something cool, which is kind of build some type of shrine. Do you remember this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, oh, he yes. The, With the torches. And, uh, yeah. 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 He's tapping the crosses. And, yeah. yeah. And that has a pretty big influence on how the movie ends. Nope. Not at all. It's just <laughs> in it. And I don't know why, but I'm glad it happened. It just doesn't do anything. He used, um, he used several drugs, which they taught him how to use <laughs> appropriately or inappropriately. And it led to a giant flaming weird statue thing thing <laughs> um Yay, drugs. My recap 
Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going after Private Toffler here. Sorry, Jeremy Davies. Uh, I need this character to be more than just mumbling religious dude. It, it, he seems weak in the group. He's got a weak kind of presence. Um, yes. And yeah. And, and, and maybe that, that helps because he's the one that, uh, wakes up with, uh, Ives like licking him, he says. Yes. Uh, and so, so maybe he needs to be the vulnerable one, but I like when the like religious dude is like a righteous dude. And so I was thinking somebody like Dennis Haysbert would make a good, strong, like religious guy. You can have two soldiers though. Like I understand like your point is more zealot than, but I, I'm, I'm hearing, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I, he, I like the, I like the idea. Tough guy like yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's not supposed to be like Reich, but um, just something with a little more backbone. It was really hard to watch Toffler. When he but was, if he had more backbone, he would have shot the man who needed to be shot in the face in the face. Like yeah. even hey, after he got shot, and it was all right. Uh, Not in the yeah, face. That, that, hey, that, hey, hey. We've all seen Zombieland. Aim, aim right. the head. This is a Wendigo. With those R- guns, can they double tap? This is a Wendigo. You shoot it in the heart. They. Oh, yeah. You should, there we go. Reich had the right idea. He just had the wrong ammunition. You shoot a Wendigo hmm. in the heart with a silver bullet. Um, hmm. I, I'm... I'm my best shot is not him screaming in the river, but I do want to ask <laughs> Brian, what's your best shot of this movie? My best shot of this movie is the Sierra Nevadas. I, 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 I actually really love the location of this film. Uh, Chad, I actually yeah. disagree with you heavily on, on Western perception. I think the Sierra Nevadas uh, activated one of the best natural barriers strife of mankind's western movement of anything that that sums up you know the west is that area so uh one one of the the things i have the most fun with especially when i go you know skiing in tahoe or anything like that is the drive down and and seeing this barrier that literally costs people lives not because it costs people their lives but it's it, it, it's a, a, a conquering aspect of what we did in the West. So it, it's, it's one of those, like that this was a, a, a hardship that, 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 that people sacrificed themselves to pass this. And that there's nothing about Western expansion. That isn't that. I understand and agree with you there. I'm just saying due to my own experience, when I hear Western, I think Midwest, I think somewhere where it's very, very hot. I do not think snow. I do not think there of a whole bunch of trees and just beautiful scenery. That's partially due to my own ignorance. But when I hear Western, I think horses and deserts and dunes and things like that. And so all of this was, I just wouldn't put this in a Western genre. You need Amarillo, yeah, Texas. I think this movie takes place in the West, but is not a Western. Correct, yes. That's the way I would put this. What's your best shot, Chad? I really like the clifftop shot where Boyd and Reich are staring down Calhoun. And Robert Carlyle, he just manages this absolute crazed look on his face. And when we get that shot, for a second you forget that this is an actor. 
you're just thinking this is a rabid human being that is they have guns and they're still concerned about an unarmed insane individual in front of them and i understand why i have not been this more aligned with someone since we did the wrestler episode me and lizzie had a lot of the same choices that is the exact same shot for me uh his crazy eyes you start to realize this is not a normal run-of-the-mill cannibal movie here. This is something kind of special. Um, and then you follow it up with that awesome shot off the cliff where you know yeah. he's fallen, and that kind of ties into to, to Brian's shot with with the with the mountains. You know, I'm from the mountains, so that is it felt um, in a discomf- in a in a movie meant to make you feel uncomfortable, like at least seeing those gray background, like that kind of felt comfortable to me. Uh, so yeah, awesome shots there. Brian, what is your best scene for this movie? Best scene of the movie is him talking to Boyd, Carlisle and Boyd's back and forth about, let's talk about being a cannibal. And he's like, yeah. this, is an, this is an easy choice. And you can, tell by guy pierce's facial stoicism like he's not buying this like doesn't matter what you say and 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 one of my favorite parts of this movie is after you have that scene you have hart's character being like can i trust you and just like he has done the entire movie absolutely not like yeah honest to a fault like you can you can go into the whole cowardice piece all you want but honesty nine out of ten times takes more courage than wielding a sword and that meant more to me in this film his honesty being his courage that is a great perspective. I will say you bringing that to the table tonight is something I didn't expect, or at least I didn't expect out of this character from Guy Pierce. Uh, what's your best scene, Jed? Mine's the same, same scene, that night scene with Ives and Boyd, but I love a good villain spiel. Give me a villain monologue where he's, he's waxing poetic about the beauties of, of this empire that he's going to create. It's very Magneto reminiscent of, hey, we're, if I'm going to turn everyone and make them like us. And yeah, I, I dig a good villain monologue, and Robert Carlyle is just mesmerizing during that. I can't tell if the scene was great or if there weren't enough competitors for best scene because that's the same one for me. I mean, Ives just says, yeah, I ate a lot of people. It was me all along. No secrets. <laughs> right. It's what I did. It's, uh, it's, it's not a seduction like vampires. It's just like, hey, you're going to get hungry soon. You got to eat, boy. Uh, I, I love it. Um, Have this wonderful stew I prepared. i will say that's a fun thing about this movie is that it is not just eating a flintstone style like meat on a bone you can cook right yeah you can have a little carrot well no my uh my thigh meat and i do think that they do a really good job of, of differentiating the difference between when you eat a person out of necessity versus <laughs> what, what 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 you could be if you do it for fun 
right? Yeah. They're cannibals, like, not cavemen. So exactly. It for fun. It's like, oh, yeah, you fell off a cliff with this other guy, and he's hanging there, and your blood's all on you. It's like, yeah, just, just eat his thigh. You'll heal up. You're good. That's That's the worst thing. However, if you do this right, then we can cook them in the stew. Look, dude, look at the potatoes. Potatoes look great. Mm, carrots you know? are too. Oh my gosh! It's, it, look, you don't look at this like you're just pulling off a thigh bone, like it's your job. Look at it from this perspective when you don't have to work for it. Foodie culture has gotten out of hand. Just... <laughs> a little salt, pepper, and butter, man, makes everything. Salt and peppers here. Salt, salt, salt. Fava beans. Best wardrobe or makeup moment, Brian. I've got to go with uh, Guy Pierce's general garb the whole time. I feel like he was the only guy who arrived dressed for the part. Like everybody yeah. else. And they, all, they all wear something a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody else. I, I, I would say that everybody else had gone a little native, especially if we're going to call what's his name, a private. Like he just went straight out. Like I'm not even going to wear this. But yeah, he's just wearing leathers and furs. Yeah, it, it seemed like he was the only person that said, hey, I showed up here in the uniform. I'm supposed to show up to Sierra Nevada wilderness garb. And he he rocked that as long as he could. And, and I got to tell you, there's there's a little flair to that. I like the flair to that. There was flair to it. Reich looks good in his uniform, too. Like he, he his his stuff is put together well, I think. Yeah. Chad, what's your best wardrobe or makeup moment? When Ives arrives in his uniform, I like how cumbersome it was because it really makes that scene so much better when Boyd is demanding, hey, I need to see your shoulder. Mm -hmm. And to get it unbuttoned and to get the sash removed and everything else just to be able to reveal a shoulder, it all worked really, really well. So it's purposely inconvenient. There are some things that like the shot itself or the process, it like kind of takes a long time in this movie. And some of them are really great, like what you just described. Some of the others are not, but that one, I, that one I really liked. Uh, mine is uh, Colhoun's kind of black ensemble uh, with the little hat that, that he, when he kind of makes the change back to Ives, I guess. Or mm. I, I can't say that because he really does present himself as Ives later. I want, I want to ask a question here. Do we think that he is a part of the expedition as Ives or is Ives someone who's part of the exposite expedition that he kills and assumes that identity? Because at this point in time, you could show up and be like, Hey, I am Colonel. <laughs> da, da, da. And if you have some good, backstory for it i mean there's there's no googling this there's no like let me see your photo id so do we think that his awkwardness taking apart the uh uniform is based on the fact that he isn't in fact a member of the military or is it i wouldn't say it's awkward i think it's just the design of the uniform it it it's cumbersome to get off so right Okay. Yeah, I'm 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 with Chad here. So 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 we're thinking he actually is military. Well, I I, so. actually, you brought up something else. I, I'm with Chad here that just it would take a long time to doff your coat in that sense. But 
from what we learned about the Wendigo, like you eat their spirit. So is, is there a possibility that you, by eating their spirit, that you gain their memories enough of them to be able to pass with mm. a certain amount of info to where you could say, Oh yeah, I'm Ives. I went to West Point. I graduated 77 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that could be a cool unwritten part. It's once again, why talking about this movie is really, is really pretty great because of all the ways you can go. Um, I guess I'll just finish by saying uh, Colhoun's little black ensemble with the little round hat is a spooky look. It <laughs> reminds me of, you guys ever seen the learning to fly music video by Pink Floyd? Yes. It's that, that guy like jumping through the hill or jumping through the fields. It really reminded me of that kind of this spooky nature guy. Um, I really liked that one. Uh, just a couple more. Ryan, if you have to change one thing about this movie, I think you were teasing us with what you would do. What's your change one thing? It drove me absolutely insane that the dude drops his bow and arrow, gains the the, the high ground behind the, the cave ground. entrance just to throw his tomahawk into his his guy's back. <laughs> like like every oh, everything man. like everything about his his piece on this was wrong in the worst possible way and he should should have been the best out of the crew that stayed outside. Like how are you gonna drop a bow and arrow? Like the guy came out like like what? What That's are why you we have doing? you up there, man? Yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah, god. And he, and he takes the high ground, which would be awesome with a baronet bow and arrow. Like that's that's a great spot. But he chooses right. to d- disregard the bow and arrow, which would have been great at the ground level where he was shooting the guy who just, you know, assaulted his commanding officer. But instead of shooting him, he drops that and he, he jumps up top. He jumps up top. He goes up top of the cave and he throws a hatchet instead of shooting right. his bow and arrow. He kind of throws it, it sideways too. Oh, I know. It's, it's so weird. For the it's, scout to lose his life so fast, there has to be some other reason. Like if there was, for instance, one other like cannibal in the party that like distracted him or right. something, that might make some sense. It did seem as if there should have been somebody on site that should have been like, just have hey, the sister there. There we go. Yes, yeah, and have there. her run off. Like he protects her. Something. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Yeah, well, no, but but even point. even like like taking the high ground's not a bad idea, but it was a horrible idea how he did it. Like right. like everything he did was so wrong that it was it was troubling. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, it was a what's weed. Your, what's your change one thing there, Chad? I, I've brought it up before, but Wendigo change as they eat people and they get bigger and bigger after they eat, and they're eventually turning into this monstrous creature. So I wanted a bit of change in eyes, either seeing him get a little taller and acknowledge it, or deterioration. Maybe his fingers start getting a little longer. Maybe his eyes get sunken in a little bit. Because ultimately, a Wendigo is a monstrous creature, yeah. and Ives got better looking throughout the film. So that mm. would be what I would change. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good change. One thing I like the idea too of having the monster be a little more revealed. Mine is a little more. It's not lore heavy. It's just the idea of what had happened before. 
Ives is brought back into the military fold. And I like this idea. And he's talking about like, hey, we got to change some. We can't change everybody. We got a lot of mouths to feed. Like we have to be careful how we do this. I think it would be considering that he is either planning on like changing more of the top brass or that he kind of has plans within this organization. How many times do they quote Ben Franklin in this movie? Three times. It'd be really cool if there was some way that they had, they tie it back to like, you think I'm the only one out here? There's Wendigos like me and saying it like that is silly, but like, there are more people like me, like back in Washington, like they've infiltrated the rest of the world somehow. So you're going for invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, I would I, say I, without, I like the idea. I would say that without the cannibalism, I would say that without the cannibalism, you could have made that statement back in Washington by itself. Uh, that's, yeah, there we go. Uh, all right. Best quote of this movie, Brian. If you die first, I'm definitely going to eat you. <laughs> That's what my cat says to me every night. <laughs> good. I love that. I do that. And I'm not going to continue on because the caveat doesn't matter to me. If you die mm-hmm. first, I'm definitely going to eat you. Like that right. is, dude, that's the heavy of the entire movie. Like he yeah. snacked on everybody, everybody in the club getting eaten. Like <laughs> that's good. I Chad, dude, what's your best quote? Ah, uh, morality, the last bastion of a coward. Hmm, that's a good one too. It has some weight to it. Uh, mine is uh, I can't remember if it was Hart or Ives, but. It's lonely being a cannibal. Tough making friends. Heart. Yes. Heart. That's heart. Yeah. But, he, yeah. but here's the thing. And, and to both of your, your points, like the, the part of it was that Hart was like trying to make the best of this because he assimilates a little bit of whatever came around him. Like, right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm making myself available to what, what I have to be at the time. Yeah, he, he is the dog in a fire just going, this is fine. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's an interesting piece on the people. That's why Hart was never what Carlisle's character wanted. He wanted another hunger. He wanted another thirsty mouth that wasn't necessarily what he what, what like under his thumb but someone who who he knew was invested in it not from a i'm about to die i can make you this but from a you became this individual based on what was presented to you the same way i was heart was never going to be the 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 equal no way that carlisle wanted and he wanted this guy to 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 buy in. He said, "Yeah, the only guy he takes out is David Arquette, which I have to imagine he would have done regardless of being a cannibal." <laughs> right. <clears throat> well, speaking of this is fine. 
It's time to rate this movie and to provide a recommendation. Uh, for most of us, we do half-star intervals, 0. 0.5 to 5. 0. 0.5 being the worst, 5 being the best. For Brian, he does integers only. That's whole numbers, audience. Brian, what do you rate this movie? 1999's Ravenous. This is a four-star movie for me. Uh, I'm not going to put it up on a pedestal, but it is a movie that I absolutely adore. Uh, it is something that does a lot of things that no other movie does, and I give it its due credits. All right, Chad, what is your rating? I went with a three and a half, and I think it's because I'm annoyed that I, Brian sent this movie to me instead of me getting to it first. Like, why? I, I don't understand after watching this movie why it's not on horror lists. I don't understand why it's on adjacent. Everyone is wrong. This is a horror movie. I should have seen it first. I'm annoyed with Brian about this, but I'm glad I got to see it. It's not his fault. It, it, it is. It is completely his fault. Uh, and this has been a weird bugaboo of mine. How dare you bring this to me? Yes. Yeah. How how dare you introduce me to something that I should have seen and have had a weird rant about there should be more of this. Like my wife has heard my Wendigo rant more times than what's reasonable. Mm-hmm. So Brian's like, he p- probably wasn't aware, but here's a Wendigo movie. This is uh, so I did enjoy it. I want more of this type of content. Make more Wendigo movies. Their lore is excellent. There's different ways of doing it. It's interesting. It's a twist on cannibalism. This is twist. It's, yes, it's a, it's great. All right, I'm going to follow that up with a three. Is the highest I can go for this movie. I also want more Wendigo. I need movies like this. I just don't think the execution was great. The idea of how we got to the Sierra Nevada, our thrills and our suspense was fine. It didn't blow me away. Uh, I I had mentioned that I thought the characters were not deep. It was shallow characters. And there was the, the soundtrack was a low for, for me and Chad, at least, um, Brian, I think you probably saved me from a downturn to 2.5. I did enjoy the content of this movie. There's just some execution flaws that I really couldn't forgive. Overall, I was glad that I saw it. I just don't think I recommend this. Uh, I recommend reading about the Wendigo. Get lost in uh, cryptozoology. (laughs) I can't even say the word. Get lost in a cryptozoology website or read about some of this cool Native American lore. Uh, this this movie just, I don't think it did it for me. It was the risks and the content that got it to a three. Because it's hard for me to go lower than that for something centered on something this cool. But it is time to look towards next week. Uh, it's time for some classic noir movies. And you guys got some options for me? Do so option one, we have The Sweet Smell of Success from 1957. Powerful but unethical Broadway columnist J.J. Hunsecker coerces unscrupulous press agent Sidney Falco into breaking up his sister's romance with a jazz musician. Option two, Double Indemnity from 1944. 
A Los Angeles insurance representative lets an alluring housewife seduce him into a scheme of insurance fraud and murder that arouses the suspicion of his colleague, an insurance investigator. Or option three, The Big Sleep from 1946. Private detective Philip Marlowe is hired by a wealthy family. Before the complex case is over, he's seen murder, blackmail, and what might be love. From cannibalism to murder, gosh, so many options. We are going to go with option two, double indemnity, 1944. Doesn't say how she's seducing him. She might be seducing him into a world of cannibalism. Might be seducing him with a hot plate of something soup. Right, that seems especially really, likely for a 1944 movie. <laughs> we really don't know what happens with these bodies, like from the bottom. <laughs> well, boys, what a uh, what a fun episode to talk to. I'm going to stick by what I said, though I gave it a, a, a middling rating. This movie and the content is so much fun to discuss. Absolutely, thanks, Brian, for for giving this to us, for uh, serving it up to for us, serving it up. Yeah, thanks, Brian. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's mostly audio only. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash retro movie roundtable. Any contribution is very much appreciated and will go towards making this show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Being human is a condition that requires a little anesthesia, darling. <laughs>